All right, Baruch Hashem Yahweh, chapter 2 of Romans. I'm super excited um, as we get into this book, truly am. So let's turn right to the text and get dive right in today, because as we shift, of course, we know there weren't chapters. This was a letter, wasn't it, Don? Right, see, I'm making sure you're paying attention. So we know there wasn't the chapter and verse divisions, but as the letter progresses now, we're shifting from idolatry, which was embodied in gross immorality, and now we're shifting in this section of the letter to pride and arrogance, which was erupting in the believing community. So last week, we were looking at um, idolatry, which was manifesting itself in gross immorality. And now this week, as we go into chapter two, we're going to be looking at the pride and the arrogance which was erupting within the believing community. So there's a shift there that we need to note. Because what had happened, those that had possessed the law, the Torah, were of course the Jewish people. And they were being led astray because of their very possession of the Torah. That, in fact, was leading them astray. They thought that because they knew all the intricate codes and all the intricate knowledge and the circumcision rites, that this somehow gave them special privileges before the creator of the universe. And this brought on this embodiment of pride in the Jewish community. Because the Jews had actually placed themselves as judge and jury over the Gentile nations. They were ready to condemn them. They were ready to look down upon them because, yes, they had committed sin, but they were really the ones that would judge them and condemn the Gentile nations. And that's what we're seeing Paul is addressing as we come into this. It's really Jewish pride. Jewish pride in the law, and this pride in the law, it obscured the degree to which the Jews failed to do the law. Because they were so pride and proud in the law, it failed the fact to show them that they were failing to do the law in itself. And that's what we see with Yahushua's chastisement of the Pharisees and the Sadducees particularly. And quite honestly, coming out of the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement, I would have to say that that same pride is in fact there today very much still. Not only in normative Judaism, but in the Messianic movement too. There's this pride of doing the Torah and a condemnation on those that have not yet even come into the knowledge of the feasts and the festivals and the Sabbath. And that oftentimes that Messianic pride prideful behavior is embodied in the pursuit of Torah, and then you become so quick to condemn those who haven't made the shift to the observances that maybe you're performing, Sabbath, the feasts, and dietary requirements. So it's very much alive and kicking today, just as it was in the time of the writing of this letter to the Romans. So we have to be very careful that pride doesn't creep in because like we know in the Proverbs that there's one sin that Yahuwah hates above all gross sins and that is the sin of pride. Because a person that is prideful, they're unreachable. All other sins, you know, you can 
get down in the dirt and the mire and the clay and you can awaken to your own self-corruption. But a person that's full of pride, they never awaken to the fact that they are rotten to the core. And that's why Yahweh hates pride above all other sins. And pride had crept in and it began to obscure the Jews' own personal and familial failures in the Torah. Whilst they were so quick to condemn others in their lack of observance. Look what the text says. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judges, for in your judgment of another, you condemn yourself. Because you who judge do the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of Yahuwah is according to truth. Yahuwah's judgment is according to truth. We know that the um, Psalms tell us that his Torah is truth. So his judgment is going to be according to his Torah against those who commit such things. And do you really think, O man, that judges them who do such things and do the same, that you shall escape the judgment of Yahuwah? And you can see now how this letter is opening up as we delve into it further and further. Paul's words, of course, come from the pseudopagogue that's a big word for me today, from the Psalms of Solomon, um, 15.8, it is written, but they shall pursue sinners and overtake them. For those who act lawlessly shall not escape Yahuwah's judgment. You see, even today, you find Jewish pride is based upon their view of their own place in the world to come. And where does this Jewish pride come from? It comes from texts like Sanhedrin 10.1. This is what it's written in Sanhedrin 10.1. All Israel, even those executed by the court for their sins, have a portion in the world to come. So Judaism, even today, believes that even those that are gross violators of the commandments of Yahuwah, just because they're Jews or Israel, will have a place in the world to come. So it's actually um, really a form of what? Nationalism and what? National pride. That you are a people based upon racial And then because of that, you have a place in the world to come. Look, Sanhedrin 10.1. All Israel, even those executed by the court for their sins, have a portion in the world to come. And this is the basis for that pride. And that was even prevalent in the first century. Now, couple that today with organizations like Birthright and the Jewish pride in the land of Israel, the state of Israel today. And the world to come, and it becomes quite self-evident that we haven't got past this. Because it's all at the time and all at the expense of the rest of the Gentile nations. And that's what Paul was dealing with. The rest of humanity is trampled underfoot, whilst the Jews and Israel will always have a place in the world to come, no matter what they do, according to the Talmudic text. And we know the Bible does not teach that to be truth, but it had infiltrated and still has today the nationalism of that 
pride. So what should our pursuit be? As we go through the text, we know as believers that our pursuit should be of Yahuwah, that we should seek Yahuwah actively each and every day, that we should be seeking to accomplish the good works that Yahusha admonishes us to do. That's what we should be doing. We should be looking forward to the future Malkitzedic kingdom and the eternal state. And it is something that is very, very pressing as we go through the text. Look at verse 4. Or do you stand against the riches of his mercy and tolerance and patience by not knowing that the mercy of Yahuwah can lead you to repentance? But after your hardness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up for yourself great wrath against the day of his wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of Yahuwah, who will render to every man according to his works. So there is a correlation there, isn't there? You can't skip over the correlation between the eternal state and action. Now that's not saying that you're saved by works, heaven forbid, but there is a correlation that once you come into the faith and there is a conversion of the inward man, then then the outward man begins to do deeds fitting of repentance. There is a correlation. There is not a disconnect. There is a strong correlation. Verse 7, to them who by continuing patiently in well-doing, so you continue in your conversion experience. From the moment that you're converted, the inward man, then you continue in that conversion. It never is a disconnect. It is a continual movement forward. You seek for glory, honor, immortality, and eternal life. But to those that are contentious against the truth and do not obey the truth, but actually obey unrighteousness. You are slaves to Yahweh or you are slaves to sin. And one brings forth life and one brings forth death. And that's the reality. That's the reality. There is no in-between ground. There is no gray with Yahuwah as far as that is concerned. You know, you look out, you go, well, that's a nice person, you know, very nice. I know so many moral heathens, but they're still slaves to what? Sin, exactly, which brings forth death. So we can see now, as verse 9 now opens up, tribulation and anguish upon every being that does evil, upon the Jew first, and also upon the Greek and the Aramean. But glory and honor and shalom, peace, to every man that does good works, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek and the Aramean. For there is no partiality with Yahuwah. For as many have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Now, make sure that your translation is correct there in verse 12. Because there is no hupo-nomon in the text. There is no under the law in the text. Verse 12. How many, show me with your hands, 
of your translation says under the law in verse 12. It does not exist in the Bible in that verse. It's a totally different Greek word. But many of our translations insert in verse 12 under the law, right? And our knee-jerk reaction is, well, flee from the law, right? Cause and effect. But that's not in the text. The Greek word there would be hupo-nomon, if there was under the law, but it's absent. You see, I want to talk a little bit about pollution, because you know that you know I'm an environmentalist, don't you? But, I mean, we live in this crazy world, don't we, where, I mean... We, we, we live amongst this, this age where you've, you, you drive down the road with your, your diesel bomber and people are looking at you like you're just like outrageous as you should be in a, a, a Toyota Prius or something. Everyone's concerned with the pollution of the environment, the, the urgency of this um, physical pollution of our environment. I mean, it just makes political headlines all the times. It's used in um, the daily newspapers and People are thrown off aeroplanes if they um, start to, you know, disagree with somebody next to them that maybe be- believes that um, global warming is imminent and you disagree. You're a pariah. So it, it's, it's very hot, all this topic about environmentalism and the pollution of the world. In fact, you know, politicians run their whole platforms based upon their their views on the pollution of the environment but here in the bible in the text in the letter that paul is addressing to the romans he is saying that there is something more important it's called the moral pollution of man that's what needs to be addressed that needs to be the political platform of which you build your whole policies is addressing the moral pollution of man and the moral pollution of the politicians that come into office but we're so caught up in the smoke and mirrors And reality is, it's moral pollution, not the environment and the pollution that we should be concerned about. That shows you how far we've come from biblical truth. When you're more concerned about the pollution out there than you are concerned about the pollution in here. You're more concerned about teaching young children about the pollution in a landfill than you are teaching young children about the pollution that can be bred within their very selves as they corrupt our children and pollute them with their new world order dialogue. That is more troubling to me as I read these texts because here in verse 12, it becomes evident that we are talking about two groups of people. Getting back to the text, that was a little soapbox there for you. But there are two groups of people in view here in verse 11 and 12. There is the group that is, look at the text, for as many as without law did sin without law, shall perish. So there's the group that is without law, and then the second group is the group that, and as many as did sin in law, through law, shall be judged. So there's your two groups. Do you see them? 
two groupings of people. And there's a division, and the division is between those who sin within the law, which would be the, the Jews, right? And the other grouping is those that, who sin without the law or outside of the law, which would be the Gentile nations, the Gentiles. And what is the sum? Both are judged, right? That's the equation. Both are judged, whether it's the Jew who is within the law or the Gentile which is out of the law, they are both going to be equally judged. And it's possible even that the Jew may be judged even harsher because of their knowledge of the Creator's decrees. Look at the text of Luke chapter 12 verse 47. Remember Yahushua said that that servant that knew the master's words, they're going to get beaten with many blows, but those that didn't hear the master's words, well, they would get fewer blows. And then remember those cities, those cities of Horsain and Bathsaida that witnessed the miracles of Yahushua? Well, they would get a much stricter judgment than the cities of Tyre and Sidon that didn't witness the miracles of Yahushua. So again, we can see this distinction between the Jews that have the oracles are going to have a stricter judgment based upon knowledge of the word you will be judged more strictly. But at the end result, will everybody be judged? Everybody will be judged. Some stricter, and that's why Paul says, don't you all desire to be teachers of the word because you will be judged more strictly. But because if you don't know the word does not mean that you're going to be get, get off scot-free because that would be universalism and untruth. So we can see even through the New Testament scriptures in Luke between the servant beaten with many blows who knew and the servant that didn't hear, not a servant, but those who didn't hear, with fewer blows. Likewise, between the cities of Tyre and Sidon that didn't hear or witness the miracles, they would have their time would be much more bearable than the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida. Put in simple terms, the Jews had knowledge of the Ten Commandments, whereas the Gentiles, they may have only had knowledge of the last six of the commandments, but they would both be found guilty, would they not? They would, they would. And if you think that you have priority with Yahuwah for some special reason, then look what the prophet Amos says in Amos chapter 3, verse 2. You only have I chosen, and because you're so special, and because I've chosen you among all the families of the earth, therefore... I will punish you for all your iniquities. So if you have been chosen, just be know that you've been chosen for a higher standard. And thus, you'll get a harsher chastening. So it's a very serious calling once we hear the voice of the master. And you can never put your hand to the sickle. You can never turn back, can you? You can never. Look at verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before Yahuwah. But the doers of the law shall be righteous. You see, knowing whether something is sinful or not is irrelevant. Knowing whether something is sinful or not is totally irrelevant. You're still going to be judged by the consequences of such sin.
See, my whole life before I turned 24 was a life lived under the judgment of the consequences of sin. It was a whole life lived under the judgments of the consequences of sin. Yet I didn't have a knowledge of the scripture, but I still lived under the same judgment. Does that make sense? I was often unaware that what I was doing was gross sin. Often I was unaware because I was raised to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Meaning I would go out and I would eat of the tree of experimental knowledge of good and evil. I would try it. And then once I tried it, then I would decide whether it was good or bad. But the problem with that theology is once you have eaten of it, it comes into your heart, it comes into your soul, you've seen it, you've heard it, and you become morally corrupt. And after years of eating and eating and deciding, oh, I'm never going to do that again, but I had done it. And that was how I was raised. And when I got saved and converted, then I decided, aha, now I eat from a different tree. If only somebody had explained that to me when I was younger, I wouldn't have gone out and tried everything. Because I would have understood the reality of two trees in the garden. And if somebody could have told me that in Sunday school, and it had gone into my inner man, then what a different life that I would have lived. But the reality of it was that I had still eaten bitter fruit. And even though once I realized that the fruit was bitter, I had still digested it and it would still bring forth what? Death. And I ended up as a dead man. A dead man. Look at Revelation chapter 20 verse 12. Because at this point in the text, I want to look into... The Hebrew word sefer, the Greek word biblion, or our English word books. Because the life that we live here, we hope that is recorded in the right books. Correct? Let's look at Revelation 20 verse 12. I'll tie it through the scriptures back to our text in Romans chapter 2 verse 13. But it's very important that we understand the difference between the sefer, the biblion, or the books in the scripture. The dead, Revelation verse 12 of chapter 20, are all, the dead are all going to stand before Yahweh when death comes a-knocking, are they not? And the books, they'll be opened. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, both small and great, standing before Elohim. And the books were opened. And then another book was opened which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Sefer Biblion Books. Turn with me to Exodus, Shemot, chapter 32, verse 31. Because we're going to connect these books. Because ultimately, 
The choice that you make will depend upon, and the life that you live will depend upon which books are brought out. And one set of books that are brought out will mean that you will be judged according to your works. And you'll be judged according to what is written in those books. But if you make another choice, then you'll end up in another book. So this is very important when we're talking about works, faith, and the real conversion message that Paul is trying to address. Because there was Jewish pride that was going on and judgment of those in the nations. And he has to correct that erroneous thinking before he can continue on further with the community. So it's very important. Exodus chapter 32, verse 31. Now notice where the context of this is. Those of us studying the Malkitzedic will know that this is after the golden calf breach. After the book of the covenant was broken. Look what happens. Then Moshe returned to Yahuwah and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin. And they have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And Yahuwah said to Moshe, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for iniquity and punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So when they violated the book of the covenant, They were infidels, they were unfaithful, and they broke the holy covenant. Then, when? Then we see these books come out, do we not? And look what Moshe says. Blot me out of your book, which is written. And then Yahuwah says, I will blot him out of my book, whoever has sinned against me. So from this passage, we learn what leads one to being blotted out of this book. The breaking of the book of the covenant, right? They'd just broken the book of the covenant. And it led to them being blotted out of that book. This has got huge ramifications in light of our Messiah. Psalm 69, verse 28. There is nothing more joyous to me than seeing students of Scripture turning in the wrestling and rustling of the pages of the Word. I'm so glad you're not all there with iPads going like this. Just, it's just not the same. It's just not the same, is it? We met for lunch, was it yesterday, Don? And did you come with a Philofax? I think you did. It was fabulous. But you had like, you had like, it was, it was very 1980s. It was brilliant. You know, most people are like, yeah, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. But he had this whole little leather bound thing with pages and a diary, notepads, very organized. It's fabulous. Psalm 69, verse 28. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living 
and not be written in written with the righteous. Psalm 69 verse 28. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So from this passage, we learn that this book, that people may be blotted out of the book of the living in which the righteous are listed. Right? There's more. There's more. Philippians 4 verse 3. Philippians 4 3. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And Revelation 3 verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. You see, overcomers aren't blotted out of the book of life. And Yahushua confesses the names of those in this book before his father and before his angels. Revelation 13 verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So even those not written in the book of life will worship the Lamb to whom this book belongs. Every knee shall bow and every, every knee shall bow. Even if you're not written in, I want to be there. Tamara's always said she wants front seats for that one. I think it'd be standing room only. Revelation 17, 8. The beast that was, that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So we know that the book of life is from where? The very foundation. The very foundation of the world. And finally back to our text in Revelation 20 verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before Elohim. And books, plural, were opened. And then another book was opened, which is, of course, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. According to their works, by the things which were written in the books. All that to say this. Here we learn that this book of life is different from the books that were opened by which the dead are judged. We learn that books is from the Greek word biblion, the Hebrew word sefer, meaning a bill, a book, a scroll, or a writing. But we also know when we go back to the clause of of Exodus chapter 32, that when they violated the sefer, the biblios, or the book of the covenant, there was consequences, was there not? We just read that. This here tells me something of so great importance. This is the books containing the record of human deeds. All people have done is recorded. Everything. Everything that we've done is recorded. And it will be exhibited in the final trial. 
And it will constitute the basis of the last judgment for how they've lived in this life. Very sobering. You see, death, death is the boundary marker. And once crossed, the account is balanced. Death ends our period of probation and it seals our destination. Death ends our period of probation and it seals our destination. Now, I know Joseph Smith had the golden testicles and um, um, whatever they are called. I'm confusing Joseph Smith with Nimrod. I'm confusing the angel Morani with the prophet Jeremiah. But he had something gold. Maybe they weren't Ra's testicles, but they were golden. And it's all a bunch of bull anyway. (laughs) Joseph Smith had not golden testicles, but golden tablets. Thank you. And I know he came up with some odd things, but the scripture is very clear on the boundary markers. Let's commence forth. (laughs) That was a good one right there. Hebrews 9 verse 27. When you step out of the boundary, always get back into text and verse is what I was taught. And always be wary of golden testicles. (laughs) Jeremiah 9.27. The reason I brought up Joseph Smith is because the doctrine of universalism and where boundaries are shifted came from, of course, the Latter-day Saints. So we'll go back not to the Book of Mormon, but we'll go back to the Scripture and see what the Scripture says for us. And it is appointed upon men once to die, and then what? And then the judgment. John chapter 5, verse 29. The dead shall come forth. They that have done good will rise to live. And they that have done evil will be risen to condemnation. Now, of course, this used to be in the scriptures until people started monkeying with the text. Second Estras um, or Ezra 9.10, for such as in their life have received benefits and have not known me, and they that have loathed my law while they have yet liberty and when as yet place of repentance was open to them, they understood not, but despised it. The same must know it after death by pain. And of course, this gives us a clue, an idea of the thought with the boundary markers of the first and second centuries with Second Clement 8.3. For after that we have departed out of this world, we can no more make confession there or repent anymore. So this shows us not the doctrine of the 19th century, but what the scripture says and what was prevalent in the first and second centuries here with second Clement, the books of the living and the dead, 
or the book of life and the book of death, the accounts of the good and evil actions of men. We find the former leading to life and the latter leading to death. John in Revelation even alludes to Daniel chapter 7 verse 10. But Paul in Romans and Galatians is concerned about what? The book of the law. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So Paul understood here that the book of the law was now superseded by the book of the covenant. That the book of the law's day had come and gone. Now, the Greek for book of the law is biblio to nomo. And I believe Revelation 20 verse 12 and Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 is connected. Is connected. As are the books that were opened. So there's, this is what I want to make the point. And I'm long-winded about it, but I believe it's so important for us to understand the difference between the book of life and the other books that were opened. And when Moses petitioned Yahuwah, after they broke the book of the covenant, that Yahuwah said that there was a shift there with the book that they were going to be erased or removed from. Correct? So there's a connection between the books and the book of life. And Paul makes the connection, I believe, when he writes in the New Testament various letters to the Galatians and so forth and so on between this book of the law and the books that were opened. Because there are various books that were opened, Daniel 7 verse 10. There is also the book of Yahweh's remembrance, alike of the evil and the good, Psalm 56 verse 8, Psalm 139 verse 4. There's the book of Yahweh's true name. You find that, the book of remembrance. That's in Malachi chapter 3 verse 16. These are the books. There's various books. There's the book of what's written in the conscience. Romans chapter 2 verse 15. There's another book, the book of the word of Yahushua. John chapter 12 verse 48. Of course, the book of the law that I've also mentioned. Galatians 3.10. There's the book of Yahweh's eternal counsel. Psalm 139, verse 16. There's a lot of different books going on. And, of course, there's the book of life. So what on earth's going on here? There's the books in contrast with the book of life. That's my point. And it's a reference as to what each individual has done or not done in his or her life. All of those books that I've mentioned, apart from the book of life are books that record what you have done and what you haven't done in this life. That's what it is. And you will be measured according to that. Did you know his name? Did you remember? All of these things, you will be written in those books or erased from those books 
blotted out better. Because if you erase, then there's a space where you can be written back in. But if you blot it out and smudge it out, then you've got no room to be written back in. And that's why in the scriptures you're blotted out. Because there's no way, once you're blotted out, you're never going to be written back in. So blotted out is much better than erased. Meaning there are all these other books, but they're all based upon the works that you do in this life, that you will be held accountable to what's written in those books. Or you make another choice and you end up in the book of life. And here's the crux. From a Torah legal standpoint, if you're not a Malkitzedic covered by Yahushua's blood, in the book of the covenant, the new covenant, then you're left to your own devices and you'll be judged according to all of the other books. Books of differing works, books of differing remembrances, rather than the book which was sprinkled with the blood. Wasn't the book of the covenant the book, the only book that was sprinkled with with the blood. And when they broke that book, they were judged sinners and they were to be erased. And then they're all dependent upon the works of the law. Various works that they do and don't do, they will be judged according to those books. But now in Yahusha, you have the opportunity to coming back to that one singular book that was sprinkled with the atoning blood that removes you from the books based upon the works of your life and then brings you into the book of life, which is always through atonement and the sprinkling of blood is my long-winded point. But it's extremely serious that we understand that. And based upon what we saw with Moses' petition to Yahuwah in Exodus chapter 32, that was after the golden calf breach. Does that make sense? Because it's extremely sobering. Do you want to be judged by your works and left to your own devices and you will be judged according to all that is written in all of those various books that I have just spoken of. But if you come into the atoning book of the covenant, ratified by the blood of Yahusha, that removes you from those books of works and brings you into the book of life. This is huge. That is the importance of Yahusha. That is what he does. That is the change. It's a choice between a book of atonement or a book of your own works. Which would you rather? The choice is now, and the boundary marker is death. And once you cross that threshold, then you are appointed to the judgment. The book of the covenant connects you to the book of life. The book of the law connects you to dependence upon deeds contained within all the other works and books therein. And that is why he is telling the people, return back to covenant fidelity. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 14. For when the nations which have not 
which have not have the law do by nature the things contained in the law. These, having not the law, have a law for themselves, which shows the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts will either accuse or else excuse one another. Now, even in Isaiah chapter 24, verse 5, we find that all the earth is held responsible. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, Isaiah 24, verse 5, because they have transgressed the laws. They have changed the ordinance and they've broken the everlasting covenant. Now look at Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. In the day when Yahweh shall judge the secrets of men by Yahushua our Messiah according to my gospel. See, you are called a Jew who trusts in the law and makes your boast in your Elohim and knows his will and approves of excellent things that are being instructed in the Torah. And are confident that you are yourself a guide to the spiritually blind and a light to those who are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes who see themselves as the pattern of knowledge and the truth that is in the Torah. You, therefore, who teaches another, don't you also teach yourself? You that proclaim that a man should not steal, do you steal? You that say a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You that hate idolatry, do you rob temples? You that make your boast in the law through breaking the law, do you dishonor Yahweh? We're talking about hypocrisy, just flagrant hypocrisy. You're so busy looking at the others that you can't see what's inside of you. And Yahushua's call is always for us to take the plank out of our own eye and to clean the inside of our cup. That is what really identifies a believer. Everything that happens is ultimately a a test for us all on our behavior, our actions, and our attitude, and will we walk in faith? You see, the problem with so many is a corrupted view of the law. That's the problem. The basis of the Torah lies in the history of redemption. The whole reason for keeping the Torah is to enjoy the blessings of Yahushua. The fruit of obedience to the Torah is the righteousness and goal of redemption. It's not the letter of the law. It is walking in the Ruach, the spirit of the law, which is always going to lead you to what? Looking at the inward man and then reflecting that outward to help the other man come into a stronger position of faith and righteousness. That's the work of a priest, verse 24. For the name of Yahweh is blasphemed among the nations through you, as it is written, for circumcision truly profits if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has been made uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the Torah. Now we're talking about the book of the covenant, the righteous requirements of the book of the covenant. Shall not his uncircumcision again, focus on the again, 
be counted as circumcision? And shall not the physically uncircumcised, if they completely perform the Torah, the book of the covenant, Torah, judge you even though you follow the letter and the circumcision, but still transgress the book of the covenant, the Torah? By not accepting Yahusha's ratification of it, thus by still being dead in your sins and under the book of the law, is what he's saying. If you're in the book of the covenant, your circumcision now is what? Of the inward man. But they that are still in the book of the law, though they are circumcised, they're still broken the covenant so this answer so their circumcision means nothing but the person that has returned to the covenant they are now as if they're circumcised because the book of the covenant was based upon what the sign of it was circumcision now you come in through the circumcision of the hands of yahusha so Your circumcision really depends on what covenant you're in. If you're in the book of the law, your circumcision means nothing because you're still out of the covenant. But if you've returned into the covenant, your uncircumcision means circumcision because it's not your circumcision that counts because that sign has passed. It is now the circumcision by the hands of Yahusha. Because the circumcision that was still in effect was now a land entrance sign, Joshua chapter 5. This is huge. Does this make sense? I hope it does. Because it's complex, but really quite simple once we understand the difference and distinction between the book of the covenant and the book of the law. The book of the covenant was blood ratified and circumcision was a sign of entrance into it. Later, once they violated and broke the book of the covenant at the golden calf, they were going to be wiped out and they were placed under a schoolmaster, the tutor, the book of the law. And because of that, Was there any point in circumcising into a broken covenant? That was what the sign was for, was for the book of the covenant. No. So a whole generation that grew up in the wilderness, they were keeping the Torah, they were wearing seats, seats, Levites, but they were uncircumcised. Why? Because they knew there was no point in circumcising into a broken covenant. Then circumcision was instituted in Joshua 5 as a land entrance sign, not attached to the covenant, that's broken. And now Paul is saying, if you have the opportunity to come back into the book of the covenant by the blood of Yahusha and the circumcision by his hands, then if you're in the book of the covenant, you are counted as circumcised. But if you're still out in the book of the law, your circumcision is as uncircumcision because you're out of covenant. You're just doing a land entrance token and you're still violating the covenant. This is the whole premise of what he's talking about. 
Look at this, verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from Yahuwah. Today, we hear all kinds of excuses by liberal theologians on why the nations won't be judged as harshly as those who know his word. But the nations, in fact, condemn themselves, do they not? How do they condemn themselves? By their show of religious austerity. They put up proud displays of religious architecture, don't they? Look at Washington, D.C. They make laws to punish adultery. They make laws to punish theft, murder, and kidnapping. So they actually tell you that they are, in fact, aware of the Creator. Even though they deny His very existence, they condemn themselves by their shows of religious austerity. They demand good faith in contracts, do they not? They demand good faith in transactions. So in this way, they prove their knowledge that Yahuwah is actually to be worshipped. They know that adultery, kidnapping, and murder are wicked. And they know that honesty should be esteemed. By their actions and laws, they confirm the base knowledge of the Creator, no matter how hard they try and deny it publicly. And you can say, separation of church and state. Well, then don't build an obelisk with public funds on the one hand, which is a religious artifact. Don't build all of these religious artifacts on one hand with public funds and then not support the building of Christian orphanages on the other. You've condemned yourself. It's hypocrisy. And this is what Paul is talking about. The conclusion is this. We are all guilty before Yahweh. All of us, Jew and Gentile alike. Now those that have knowledge of his word, will they have a stricter condemnation? Will they be beaten with more stripes? Will it be harder on them? Yes, but we all are guilty before the Creator because He has given us the knowledge that He is the Creator. That is general revelation. And you know what? Death ends our period of probation and it seals our destination. No matter what Joseph Smith and his golden tablets say... Amen? Amen. Questions, comments? (laughs) Steve, and nothing about the golden thing. Spectacles. (laughs) Do you want to put put it on, the green button on the bottom? Oh, it's not working. We have a fault. A fault in the lines. Okay. Yeah, I'm up. Uh, there there's go. a there's an announcement I think Matthew about the um, 
assembly of the Melchizedek? I'll talk about that afterwards. Excellent. Thank okay. you so much. Uh, let me see if there's any other questions. I didn't see any back here. Does anybody have some in here? Anybody, any questions, comments, cabbage? No? Blessings. I think we first of um, we have an oneg afterwards. Is this correct? Splendid. Well, let's pray and thank Yahweh for our time. Thank you, Abba, for this Shabbat. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the worship and that we were able to come together, Abba. We ask, Abba, that you will be with us in fellowship in Yahusha's mighty name. Amen. Amen.